A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm John Norman alongside me, Jared Kimber. This isn't a show that uh, we intended to broadcast today. We were expecting to be speaking about the IPL, uh, maybe a little bit of Steve Smith and David Warner. But if the premise of following on is to look back at the big stories from the week of cricket, then we couldn't look any further than what happened in Christchurch. Uh, Many people out there will believe that sport and politics must never mix. Sport is seen as offering us an escape from reality it's a special safe place which allows us refuge from selfish politicians and financial worries and whatever's going on back at home and crap jobs and annoying kids and just being told how to live your life because sport affords us something that we don't get in real life every week there's a level playing field where everyone involved adheres to the same laws and competes according to strict terms and conditions. And if you're in doubt, you consult the rule book. And you don't get that in real life. Humans aren't born equal. They might tell you that we're all born equal, but we know we're not. But at the beginning of a match, when players step onto the field, the score always starts nil-nil or naught for naught. It's a new day. Unlike in real life, anything can happen. And when it doesn't go your way, then there's always next week. Except sadly, as we found out this week, for some people there isn't. It's understandable why people get annoyed when politics gets in the way. It's an unwelcome reminder of real life. But politics invades all aspects of life. And I've never really worked out how or why sports should be any different. Last week, a murderer ran rampage through Christchurch. He killed 50 people. And there are many others battling to stay alive right now in hospital. Those 50 people, we are never, ever going to meet. We're never going to know them. And as I sit here, and I hope as you listen wherever you are, let all of our thoughts be with them right now. We probably would never have known the names of 45-year-old Husna Ahmed, who was shot in the back trying to take children away from the danger. Masters graduate Ansi Alubava or three-year-old Muabi Ibrahim. The other 47 are unfamiliar to us as well. But some of the others we do know because those that survive should also be treated as victims because what they lived and saw will be with them forever. 
Listeners know the names of Tammy Mikbal and Mushfiqur Rahim and Mamadullah and all the rest of the Bangladeshi cricket team who found themselves cowering in terror as the carnage took place. And while some hid and some fled, others ran. Some ran towards the danger. One of those people joins us now from Bangladesh, ESPN Crick Info's Mohammed Isam. Mohammed, thanks for joining us on the show. Let's start from the beginning, really. Where else is there to start? You've been covering the tour for a month or so leading up to this aborted third test match. As you said, the day started with you worrying or thinking about injury concerns surrounding Kane Williamson and Mushfiqur Rahim. But it ended very differently. But take us back to the beginning. How did it all unfold? So the incident uh, happened on the 15th. Uh, I was just about. I just had come out of the press conference with Mamadullah, the Bangladesh captain. We were walking around the parking lot looking for an Uber, basically, because we wanted to go and have lunch. And the Bangladesh team had already left for the for the mosque for their Friday prayers. Um, when suddenly I got that call from Tamim Iqbal. Uh, Tamim called and said that uh, he's in trouble. Uh, he, he needs help. Uh, the team needs help, and I didn't take him seriously. I cut the line. Uh, he called me back again. Fortunately. And he said, no, you are not understanding what I'm trying to say. It's trouble. There is something going on inside this mosque. So I tried to run out of the uh, Hagley Oval par- uh, parking area when a lady uh, saw me panicking and said that she wants to give me a lift. And uh, she also didn't know where the mosque was. I found it on the on, on the Google map. And then we went there. It was not that far away. It was just about a kilometer from, from the ground. And once we reached around that area... Um, that that intersection, uh, but there was one police car on the on the entrance of that road. So, and it but it was not closed. So the police car was just there. We got off from the car and we ran towards the the Bangladesh uh, team bus that I had spotted. I was with two other journalists. Uh, we the moment we started to run, we we immediately saw uh, the the situation was barbaric. There was one dead body on my on the right of my on the right on on my right. Um, later, I found out that he was probably the the last person that the shooter uh, shot from his car when we saw the video later on. Um, so I saw that and I kept running straight towards the bus. I saw a lot of wounded running towards me uh, and crying and shouting. I crossed the road. I was really fearful of the Bangladesh team. At that point, I thought maybe it was the Bangladesh team that had got attacked because there was no movement around the bus. Um, and then suddenly the whole team ran out of the bus. I saw them coming out of the bus. Um, they grabbed hold of me and said, just turn around and run. And we kept going towards Hagley Park. Uh, one of the players said we should not run because uh, what if the police you know, don't understand who we are and think that we are running away from something. And then my other big fear was uh, if there are multiple shooters and the park is so big and it's so close to the mosque, I mean, what if they come out from there. Uh, at the same time, there was a lot of joggers going towards that area of the mosque, uh, which the Bangladesh team stopped. Which I, which I thought was a very cool thing to do because they were already in so much shape. And we started to walk very fast towards Hagley Oval. Um, the players already had started to break down. I felt awful. Um, after a little while, when we got very close to Hagley Oval, I started to video what was going on around me, just to tweet it out. And Because I hadn't Googled even the word Christchurch by then because my mind wasn't working in that way. But when I had posted that uh, that tweet, um, by that time we had entered the stadium, like the ground, and um, 
through one of the side entrances. So we ran inside. I, there's one video that I still have on my phone. I'm telling them to run faster because no one was running because they were still walking. We got inside the dressing room. Then we got the media got taken away to another room. The team was together for about 45 minutes to one hour. For that one hour, we were, you know, looking through the TV and all those things. There was a lot of people at the ground that time because the event management company, the broadcasters were setting up things for the next day, which was quite obvious. There was close to 100 people inside the Hadley Pavilion at that time when we were there. And then the updates started to come that 20 people have died and the police have locked down the whole city. By the time I uh, I had already, uh, the news had already been published on Quick Info, so the news part was running uh, on that side. And I called someone in the BCB, I called the Bangladesh team manager for news, as well as telling them that we need a lift. Uh, so BCB told someone in the uh, New Zealand cricket and they arranged a couple of cars for us so that we can go to the team hotel where the press conference was supposed to take place. After we arrived there, um, uh, the Bangladesh team manager, he conducted a very uh, very impromptu press conference. When that happened, after that happened, he asked us for to stay back for some food. We had our lunch and then we started to talk to the players. They were shaken. I think equally to what their experience was watching that video that came out uh, on social media. I think that knocked them down harder than anything else because they had gone to that mosque before. They had sat where he shot people. So they knew that mosque very well because they had gone there two years ago when Bangladesh had played. In fact, they had gone there, I think, uh, a number of times in this tour as well, a few times on this tour, last, last, last tour as well. So they knew the insides of this mosque. They knew the entrance where the guy entered from and exited from. They knew, knew all those places. And the uh, and then it later emerged that um, the moment he had dri- driven out of the mosque, in his GoPro uh, vision, there was the Bangladesh team bus on the right-hand side. There's a, photo, there's a screenshot of that as well. So they figured all those things out in those few hours in the team hotel and you are talking about about 30 people who are constantly looking for things in the internet so panic started to go up and people started telling them not to go near the window of the no hotel in in Christchurch when we went they didn't they wouldn't let us go anywhere um he like the players were like no 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 just stay stay with us we'll all hang out for the rest of the night we'll go tomorrow and uh, luckily for me my my office uh, arranged for uh, for an air ticket changed my ticket very quickly uh, when I told the manager this, the players were a little uh, apprehensive that they also want to go and go from that flight the next day. Luckily, they also got tickets for that flight. Uh, nineteen of uh, yeah, nineteen of them traveled back together, and um, then somehow I managed to come back to the to my hotel at night. Um, the 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 most uh, interesting part of it was that Christchurch was so empty, but it was St. Patrick's. The St. Patrick's weekend had just started. So it was supposed to be so different, but it was easily quiet. Um, usually, Christchurch is a quiet city, but the Bangladeshis living there had told us that it would be a very loud night. Uh, so I, I, I felt that Christchurch had gone quiet very early that evening. It was just unbelievable how, like the the the, the lady who the, sorry the girl who had uh, dropped us off from the stadium to the team hotel, her name was Caitlin. She broke down halfway through the through driving us there. She said the innocence of our lives are over. And she was right. She's a young girl and we had to cheer her up. We told her that uh, coming from Bangladesh, we have gone through a number of terrorist attacks. So we, we know how it feels like. It gets better. 
and to cheer her up, we even took a selfie with her afterwards. She she laughed, she smiled, but I could understand that she was very confused what was going on. And then, um, luckily, the next morning, I just someone took me to the airport, and there I caught up with the players. We all got into this really long flight from Auckland to Singapore, and uh, no one could forget what was happening. I spoke to all the players. They were touched. They decided to talk about their faith. Some of them stopped talking completely. Some of them talked a lot. And that's what happens uh, in, a, in, in such a traumatic situation. I mean, it's an incredible story, mate. I've got so many questions. Um, one of the first is, yeah. how often do the Bangladesh team actually pray together? So, when they're in the hotel, so we have to pray, uh, all Muslims have to pray five times a day. But uh, sometimes they do it on their own in their rooms. But on Friday, that's the norm. That's pretty much the uh, standard for all of us to pray together in the mosque. It's a very cultural thing as well for Bangladeshis and, and, and Muslims all over. The Friday prayers are like um, the social event of the week almost. That we would, it's not a long prayer. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes, but uh, we go there. And, and, and in, in uh, New Zealand, uh, this particular mosque had a, had a tradition of uh, having a lunch buffet at the end of it. Uh, for for a small for, sort of it was like 300 people would usually turn up so someone would arrange for some very simple food like uh, South, South Asian food so um, for the Bangladesh team to do Friday prayers they've done it everywhere in the world in England in Ireland in South Africa um, in Sri Lanka they would go and find a mosque just to go together it's a it's a ritual you can you can call it a call it a social event as well when the when the Bangladesh team bus was pulling up um, near the mosque. I, I think I read in, in your story that the um, someone ran up to the bus and tried to stop them, and they thought that the the woman was just crazy and, and confused. So they kept driving until someone else um, stopped them. Had they not been stopped, would they have driven more into danger, or uh, or was the the danger already inside the mosque by that point? So from now now with all the con- calculations, he uh, the shooter had come out when they had stopped the bus. So the mo- the lady was correct. Her car was shot at, she said. Someone shot at her car, and there was a lot of noise from inside the... Uh, that's what she said, that there was a lot of noise. The Bangladesh players did not hear any shooting inside the mosque, but they heard a bit of shooting outside, because he was also shooting a lot of people outside who was who were wearing Islamic clothes. So they heard that, and one of the players saw this last guy that I saw uh, fall on the ground. Um, like, he just noticed him falling on the ground. They thought he was drunk. Minutes later, when that lady stopped them, the bus driver said, no, no, we are going to the mosque. You don't have to stop us. She said, no, no, there is something inside the mosque, someone shooting people inside the mosque. And that's when they started to panic. Everyone heard her. She was very loud. She was crying very loudly. And then when they looked at the mosque, they saw people staggering out. These people were trying to uh, run out. And then the, the, the special forces apparently arrived, or the police had arrived, and they just burst the car inside the mosque door. And uh, they ran inside, and the players saw that. Then they thought that the shooters must be inside, or the shooter must be inside. I mean, there were there was a lot of confusion, which you can imagine. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Mohammed, tell me about the thought process, if there was one. When people hear about a, a terrorist uh, incident or to avoid, their normal impulse is to run away, but you ran towards it. Talk us through that. You know, was there a thought process or was it just instinct that took over? <laughs> I think it was a bit of both. Um, I think, firstly, when I, when I took it seriously, it was a matter of seconds when I took it seriously and... I asked one of the other journalists to call the police, which he did. But unfortunately, I think their uh, emergency number goes to a number of options. So you have to choose which one to call. It was taking a bit of time. But by the time I had run out of the parking lot, because I felt that if he was in trouble uh, or the team was in trouble, I should at least go and and try to help them. And I think uh, the lucky break I got was that lady who said, I'll give you a lift which I thought made it easier because it would have taken me another 20 minutes to, even if I ran really fast, it would have taken me 15 minutes to reach them. So um, even when I reached there and I saw those dead bodies, I still felt that um, I didn't take him seriously at first uh, when he called me, come in, and what if he's dead? You know, I was really fearful of that, that I would never be able to forgive myself for not turning up when he, when someone was in trouble. It was not something that I've learned from my parents as well, that you should go to someone's uh, funeral first or someone if someone is in the hospital you should go first but you know going to someone's wedding is not that important that's how I've grown up can I read um, some words from one of the articles I think you helped write Tammy McBall um, wrote you know you have seen death with your own eyes your body goes cold it was something we will never forget and it is such a thing. It is getting worse with every hour we pass. I have spoken to a lot of my teammates and everyone is talking about it. Trust me, inside, everyone is shattered. It's going to take a lot to get past this, isn't it? From both the Bangladeshi cricket side of things, but also the journalists who were present. Exactly. Um, for me, it hasn't been a great ride so far in the last five days. It's 
It has been a lot of sleepless nights. I've tried to reconcile with the fact that I'm back. I've tried to understand that my family is the most important thing right now. My office has given me a lot of time off, which is another great thing. And I've tried to speak to a number of the players as well, and I haven't heard good things yet. They're still reeling from it. Um, part of the problem is we live in a society where we have a lot of relatives uh, living nearby, and uh, they call us. They want to talk to us. They want to meet us. Um, and many of them have a lot of questions that, that really don't have any answers. So I think that also doesn't help. Like when we had crossed Singapore for our transit and uh, we had come near Dhaka, some of the players were telling me, oh, my God, I have to go back home. And there will be a lot of people at home. They'll be asking me so many questions. Everyone is curious to know what's happening. So it'll take a long time. Um, but I think there is a way. There is definitely a way to... There are great, great therapists around the world. The Bangladesh team works with one of the best in sports. I think um, he's from he's from Canada. He's a very he's been working with the team closely. I think he has already got in touch with the players, and the players have got in touch with him as well. So I'm I am certain that many of the players would would want to talk to someone who knows about PTSD. After the shock and the emotion, I, I imagine there is also a lot of anger. Anger that doesn't come out of any of the articles that you've written beautifully that you can read on uh, ESPN Crick Info. Um, also, a lot of words that have come from Tamim Iqbal. But is there anger in Bangladesh? It wasn't Bangladeshi uh, necessarily, or just Bangladeshi uh, people who were targeted and victims. There's a lot of people from Syria. Uh, Somalia, Pakistan, as well as Bangladesh and uh, Indonesia who were affected. The Muslim world has been targeted as a whole. But where does the anger lie in Bangladesh? Is it with the perpetrator or is it with uh, the media or is it is it greater than that? Is there just a feeling that this is the way the world is heading at the moment? Yeah, the perpetrator. I mean, uh, what is he? Is he, is he human or like what, what was that? I mean, he... There is a way to uh, think about, even if you have extremist views, it, it cannot be uh, brush-firing innocent people. I mean, the Australian senator who came out and said those disgusting things, I think it, uh, th- th- these things add up. Obviously, there's a question mark over how New Zealand handled the, the security of the Bangladesh team, which I don't blame them because it, there is no culture of that in that country. Bangladesh uh, already went through a number of terrorist attacks, which is why when England and Bangladesh, England and Australia visited in 2016 or 17, um, there was so much security around. So that also, uh, people have talked about it in the media, but not too loudly, because they also respect New Zealanders. They think that New Zealand is probably the nicest people in the world. There is not a lot of hatred or anger towards them, but towards that perpetrator. I think it's very hard to understand what, why would someone do such a thing. When it happened in Bangladesh, there was no sympathy with the uh, perpetrators. There was no sympathy. Even the even the um, their families didn't accept their dead bodies when the perpetrators died. So uh, the same goes for this guy. I mean, um, like w- everyone in Bangladesh wants to know. It doesn't matter whether the Bangladesh team was close to that or not. If the Bangladesh team hadn't gone to that mosque, they would have felt the same way. I think because there's a, a number of Bangladeshis who died, a number of people who died. It doesn't matter if they're Muslims or not. The way he went inside, he could have gone inside a some some other uh, religious place to do it and it would have had the same impact here it's quite an interesting thing from a psychological point you've got well 15 to 20 sort of young fit guys plus a couple of coaches as well um and obviously inside uh people are being slaughtered was there any feeling amongst the players that they wished that they could have done something to help prevent this or was it more just the fear that they could have been um, the other victims no because 
when they were inside the bus and ducking under, there was still a lot of bodies, like a lot of people with wounds coming out. So it was more about self-preservation than anything else. They uh, inquired a lot about who died and everything. They, they looked after that part. They tried calling the Bangladesh community, but I don't think there was enough time or there was enough attention paid to that part. I mean, it was chaos at the, at the hotel. People were trying to pack their bags and just get them out of there. I think in that sort of sense, it was very hard for them to think otherwise. And for the players themselves, then, do, do you think what's haunting them more at the moment, the fact it could have been them or the fact that they were there and saw the event happen and, and saw the death? I think, I think um, um, it probably would have been a little less had they not seen that video which came out. For them, it was a, fart, a little too much because they knew the, the mosque well, they knew, uh, and they were very close to it. And when they spotted their own bus in his GoPro vision, in his video, they probably lost it there, I think. I think that was the point when they... Tamim told me 30 seconds, but it wasn't actually 30. It was actually close to 10 seconds, I think. And how close they were. And they were obviously, they, they were struggling in the series um, at, at that point. It was called off straight away. It was, I, I, it was already... It was going to be a dead rubber test, is that right? Yeah, it was a dead rubber test. They called off called it off at 5 o'clock local time. The, the incident happened around 2 o'clock. New Zealand cricket called it off at 5. But we had known, like... The broadcasters, the people who were there, they were telling me that it was called off. It was, there's no chance that they can play test match here. Mohammed, um, as you may or may not know, I have very strong links with New Zealand myself. My wife um, was born there and yeah. her family still live there. And I'm very much in touch with the, the feeling in and around the country and, of course, have followed this story um, through New Zealand media channels. As things stand, Bangladesh isn't scheduled to tour again in New Zealand uh, in the current FTP, Future Tours programme. I imagine, though, that there would be some willingness from New Zealand to host Bangladesh again, if only for the vast majority of right-minded people to come together and prove that this maniac uh, is, is alone in his view of the world. Uh, I know that Wellington, the Basin Reserve, played host to 11,000 people who came together to join together, really, and really nod towards what had happened in Christchurch. So 11,000 people at the Basin Reserve. Could you imagine a world where if New Zealand cricket offered Bangladesh the chance to come back in the next year or two to honour the victims and to bring people together uh, to play that third test match which wasn't played... Do you think that the Bangladesh team, difficult though it is to say definitively this close to the events of Christchurch, but do you think there would be some will for Bangladesh to return? Absolutely. I think they will. I think they still, I mean, uh, I think they posted on social media that of all the places in the world, we didn't expect it in New Zealand, which means, there is, I think Mushri wrote that I love New Zealand. I still love New Zealand, which is a great thing to say for, for someone who was that close. But you're right, and a and couple of other things. Bangladesh are supposed to tour twice in this FTP, 2021 for, for a one-day series and 2023 for another test series. But the point being that if New Zealand cricket had invited Bangladesh for this one-off test match, I'm sure they'll go. I'm sure the players will go. I, I don't think they hold that grudge against anyone. Of course, they'll be concerned. Of course, they will probably ask for more security, which I'm sure New Zealand cricket will provide. But I'm 
my gut feeling is that they'll agree. The players will agree, the board will agree. Mohammed, really appreciate you joining us on following on this week and uh, hopefully next time we speak, you know, we'll be in a position where we can almost uh, put this into some kind of, uh, I don't know, make some kind of sense, although how that's possible to make sense of the senseless, I'm not so sure. But look, the events of the, what occurred is, is harrowing. Uh, but maybe we can all learn something from it moving forward. And uh, you look after yourself right. as well. It is good to talk. You've got Thank to get you. it out of your system, that's for sure. Uh, but thanks for joining us yeah. on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Mohammed Isam there. So, Jerry Kim, I mean, you know, it reminds me of one situation. I, both of us, unfortunately, and Mohammed, we've grown up in cities, and there's very few people who can't say this but we've grown up in cities where there have been terrorist incidents uh, the IRA for me were part of life uh, during the uh, the 80s and then of course that's been uh, replaced for want of a better word by uh, the rise of extremism in terms of uh, the, the 2007 London bombing springs to mind and there was a question I asked Mohammed in that piece about you know when did the journalist take over and when did the human being come back and the reason I asked that question was because in 2007, I woke up and switched on Sky News uh, to read that there had been some power outages on the London Tube and they brought the system to a standstill. And then over a period of time, minutes probably, it became evident that something quite serious had happened. A suicide bomber had blown himself up on the Tube in a couple of, uh, couple of suicide bombers, three of them, and one on a bus in London. And my first impulse was to get to work. Coincidentally, I'd seen an old friend the night before and he'd been cycled to the pub. So I knew he had a bike because all the public transport was down. You couldn't get on public transport. So uh, I went round to his house, borrowed his bike and cycled into work. And I remember it so vividly because there was just something in me that just said, I've got to get to work. I've got to, I've got to, I've just got to be there. And I remember cycling in from Streatham in South London through to Hatfields, uh, also in South London, but by the river. And it was a, a very, very traumatic day in many, many ways. But I remember cycling into work and just the feeling that everyone else was leaving. You know, everyone was leaving London because everyone was leaving, going home and they couldn't use the tubes and they couldn't use buses. So everyone was on the streets. And London has never been more busy. It's a bit like, imagine when you go to Oxford Street around Christmas time and it's crammed, the streets are crammed. And it was like that because nobody was on the tube. And I got to work. It took me about 20 minutes to cycle in, 25 minutes. And as soon as I got in, my boss at the time, Bill Ridley, the, the programme director, realised I could get around. I had no training. Um, I'd done some reporting, but not much. And he sent me out. He said, get to Liverpool Street. So I cycled to Liverpool Street. And again, it was such an eerie feeling. Cycling, cycling around London, no traffic, and just people on the streets and everybody on their phones ringing, loved on, saying, I'm safe, what's happened, yada, yada. I went from Liverpool Street and cycled across London to the scene of the bus bombing and reported from outside the bus. And then for the rest of the day, I was camped outside Russell Square Station. And you know what? It was only on the train home at about seven o'clock that night following a really long day. And I just saw a copy of the Evening Standard just discarded on the seats. And the front pages were of the bus that I'd reported from and the, the scenes of panic and uh, tragedy outside Russell Square Station. And it was that that made me realise what had happened. And I became a human again rather than the journalist. Mohammed. And all of these people who witnessed what they witnessed and saw what they saw, 
they need to be really careful because you need to get that out of your system because you might feel you're okay at the time and it might be six months it might be a year it might be five years but you've got to get rid of that you've got to get it out of your system somehow uh, you've got to talk about it and while Mohammed was of the opinion that having so many family members around who want to hear the story, who want to find out you're okay, who want information, is almost not helping him. I think actually that's the best thing that could possibly happen because you, you've got to get that out of your system. And, and hopefully that's what he and all the Bangladeshi team do. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for them to move on. Uh, look, for, for, for myself, I've never been involved directly in a terrorist attack, but I did. I was working for Qantas the night that the Bali bombings happened, and I was on the overnight shift, so there was five of us working, and everyone, they were literally, people were calling us fr- while the bomb bits were still hitting the ground, saying they were dragging their friends out. Um, those sorts of things don't leave you. You have to work on those sorts of things, and that's where, you know... It, uh, good team psychologist is really important but just psychology in general and 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 reaching out to people is is so important and there's going to be a lot of people scarred from this i mean you know for me my first thought was why do it have to be christchurch right after the earthquake like i was there for the 2015 world cup it's my first time in new zealand absolutely loved it but i had an eerie feeling then uh, you put this on top of it you know it, there's so many people affected by by this sort of thing it's it's incredible um, following on is back. We're going to be bringing your weekly cricket roundup. We couldn't talk about anything else. There was no point in us pretending to be enthused about the start of the IPL. Um, talking about the return of Steve Smith and David Warner. That can all wait for next week. We'll be back next week. But yeah, moving forward, 2019, once we get our heads around this horror, uh, has got plenty to offer. Um, and I hope that you're going to be joining us throughout. Uh, but for now, see you next week. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.